In the first part, we examined the scriptures. And in the second part of the subject, we considered possible causes. Uh, and tonight, I want for us to talk about the response of the church. What should the response of the church be to those either uh, actively engaged in the homosexual lifestyle or desperately struggling to be freed of it. And as I thought about it, I think the answer to the question is really quite simple. You see, uh, the church must reflect the attitude of the head of the church. That's the response of the church. The church of Jesus Christ must reflect the attitude of the head of the church. And so what is his attitude? Uh, that, too, is fairly simple. He makes a distinction between sin and the one who sins. And isn't that really great? He has this marvelous distinction, this marvelous capacity to separate out the throes of human sin, which are really an offense to his holiness, from the one who has committed sin. He distinguishes the sin of people from the inherent worth of people. So even though his holiness is offended by absolutely everyone whom he has created, nonetheless, there's something about his unique love which continues to draw him to the one who has offended him. This is the attitude of Christ. And this, therefore, must be the attitude of the church of Jesus Christ. Now, it surely is true, we cannot minimize this, that the Lord Jesus rejects some things while accepting others. And therefore, it's very important to us to do the same, to figure out what it is he rejects and what it is he accepts so that we reject what he rejects and accepts what he accepts. Well, folks, he rejects what is contrary to his holiness. Make no mistake about it. But he accepts, he always does, the repentant one who has offended his holiness. This is the attitude of Christ. This must be the attitude of the followers of Christ. He rejects, let me just cut to the chase, the homosexual lifestyle. Therefore, so too must we. We have to reject what he rejects, but he accepts the one struggling with same gender attraction, and so too must we. Well, once after a church service during which I spoke about something I don't remember, I went to a room kind of like a hospitality room like ours to greet people. And a lady, member of the church, came up to me uh, when it was opportune. And she said, my son, uh, about 30 years old, said she, came home last night and said, Mom, uh, I need to tell you something about me you don't know about. And he said to her, Mom, I'm gay. And she told me, I threw him out of the house. 
And she said, do you think I did the right thing? And I said to her, I think you did the understandable emotional thing. Uh, You were hit with a surprise communication. You knew not of this. And it hit you like a ton of bricks. And so I could surely understand your emotional reaction. But even after what you now know about your son, has he become any less your son? And she gave the right answer. No, he's still very much, said she, my son. So I encouraged her to manifest to him, since she was a follower of Christ, the attitude of Christ, which is to distinguish her son's sinful choices from the fact that he is still very much her son. So you here who are parents or other family members of a gay child have probably, like the lady I I just spoke of, been deeply hurt. Maybe you're even ashamed. That is understandable, but I ask you this question. Have you, as members of the church, manifested the attitude of Christ to your own children? If not, why not ask Almighty God to forgive you? And why not accept it? And settle the matter. And having done that, why not seek your child's forgiveness now? Now, you may find that to be somewhat unusual because you may feel uh, that you're offended by what your child has done, and that may be the case, but I'm speaking to you, the follower of Christ, and we must agree that we have to respond to those outside of his will in accordance with his attitude. He separates the sin from the sinner. And so if you have responded inappropriately to your gay son, or lesbian daughter, and have accepted the Lord's forgiveness, I want to challenge you now to seek your child's forgiveness. Now, this does not mean you condone his or her choices, but it means relationship with your child or grandchild or niece or nephew or friend is of such value to you You want to remove any obstacle to it, especially the ones you may have caused. And so, in spite of your child's sinful choices, you want to be reconciled. And so, therefore, you seek your child's forgiveness. Maybe for not being the perfect parent he or she needed you to be. Maybe for reacting out of pure emotion to your child's revelation of his or her gayness. Now, you can do this face-to-face, or you can do this by letter. And I want to just give you some suggested words, because I realize this may be sort of a kind of a new concept, you know, because we're supposed to 
I think burn gay people at the stake. Or, I mean, that seems to be a prevalent attitude. Uh, it's from the pits of hell. That is not the attitude of Christ. And so I wrote something which, not the exact words, might reflect the kind of communique you may want to have uh, with your gay child or grandchild. Dear, and you would put in that person's name, I love you. But I know I haven't always loved you as I should. I'm limited and imperfect. And at times I have even deliberately sinned. For all this I have sought and received God's forgiveness. And now I am seeking yours. Please forgive me for not always being the dad or mom. You needed me to be. I truly do love you with a love that will not let you go. Though I do not approve of your choices, I do love you, and I am so glad that you are mine. Now, please listen to me. I want to encourage you to find satisfaction of your legitimate needs in the one who is perfect and who greatly desires to be your heavenly dad. It is true. God, who sent his precious child for you, wants to embrace you as his precious child forever. And so if you turn away from your own efforts to meet your needs and from your sinful choices and to him, he will never let you go. You see, his love for you even exceeds mine. Now, whether you like it or not, I'm going to pray for you. In fact, I'm not going to cease praying that you would accept and submit to the Lord Jesus, the one who loves you most. Warning, I'm going to hug you till it hurts the next time I see you. Love, dad and or mom. I think that is the attitude of Christ. Have you manifested the attitude of Christ? Church family. Are you ready to manifest the attitude of Christ? How have you been raised? To despise and separate those caught up in certain sins, (laughs) but other sins are okay? God separates all sin, uh, which is a crime against his holiness from his insatiable appetite to embrace the one who does sin and turns to him. This must be the attitude of his church. So how do we Christians respond to those immersed in or desperately struggling to get out of the gay lifestyle? It's easy. We respond with the attitude of Christ. He rejects sin, but he stands by ready to accept the repentant sinner. Many who struggle with same-gender attraction, we spoke about this last time, have experienced, usually early on, uh, severe harm and abuse. And if the church family were to reject that person now, can you see how that person would be re-victimized? That person has come from a horribly dysfunctional, let's say, family on a quest Uh, to find a healthy family in the church. And if the so-called healthy church family 
rejects that person, can you please tell me where that person's going to go now? We have just extinguished hope of healing and well-being and healthy family relationships. Folks, this is not the attitude of Christ. Once I was a pastor of a church until I realized it's too hard to do. And uh, so there was a guy and he was, I guess, about 40 and through circumstances they don't have to go into, he found his way to our church. And, and he was a gay man. And at the end of almost every church service, once again, we'd be found in a room like the hospitality room and be, there'd be a, a line of people, you know, they say that was an excellent sermon and they didn't even listen to it. <laughs> I know how it is. You just, that's the way it is. But anyway... Then when the crowd would dissipate, uh, this young man would whisper in my ear. I'll never forget one day, he whispered in my my ear. He said, Stuart, I love coming here. And I whispered in his ear, and I love that you love coming here. And I wept, and so did he. And then I said, I think we know each other well enough and trust each other enough so that I could ask you this question. And here was the basis of the question. I knew after he left our church on that very day, he went to another. And it's one of a a national association of gay churches. And that's where he would go in the afternoon. So I said to him, I must ask you, Why do you go there? And he paused, and then he said, I come here for truth, but I go there for community. My heart broke. He couldn't trust the people in our church exposed to truth every Sunday to embrace him as the Lord Jesus Christ was willing to. And he was so needy, aren't you, for healthy community that though he knew there wasn't any truth there, that's where he went. And so I thought to myself, the church of Jesus Christ can and should be a place where truth is declared and community is offered. Don't you think both objectives can be accomplished? The head of the church did. He was invited into the home of people otherwise ostracized by society. We are to speak the truth, but in love. It's not a hammer. It's not to destroy someone. It's to soften their heart. Folks, the struggle for release from uh, the mastery of homosexuality is a very difficult one. But it is not an impossible one. And uh, there are many one-time gay men and one-time lesbian women who are now living proof of the fact 
uh, that the Lord Jesus could set them free and that he has done it through his marvelous grace and glory, oftentimes through human agency. And that is the compassionate members of the church of Jesus Christ. We could be that way. We are that way largely. Not enough. And when God delivers through his glory and grace, do you know oftentimes he does it through certain specially selected instruments who have skills and who are trained and who have wisdom with regard to the healing process and patterns of human behavior. And we have them here. And they're housed in our counseling center. Not everyone has those. You saw the director of our counseling baptize this marvelous lady earlier. A Christian counseling center where there is an integration of biblical truth along with an observation of God-given patterns of human behavior so as to help someone grow. We have skilled counselors who could help a person realize their coping mechanisms are illegitimate, though they may be trying to meet very legitimate needs. And so I just want to tell you that is a resource available. If you're struggling with same-gender attraction, you could go, you could begin the process, or you can continue to be engaged in the process. It's not an event, it's a process of growth and of recognizing what has led up to your present situation and are the attempts you're making to deal with the pain in your life, are they resolving anything or are they causing you to be worse off? We have Christian counselors. I can vouch for them. They're all professional. They're licensed. They're skilled. And they know the divine counselor, the Lord Jesus Christ. They'll counsel in utmost confidentiality. And then I want to tell you about another resource. It's a marvelous organization, an evangelical Christian organization, and it's called Exodus International. And you can go to their website, and there it is on the screen. And if you're a person struggling with same-gender attraction and wanting to be delivered, or if you're a family member or friend wanting to understand this particular lifestyle a little more, uh, then I encourage you to go to the Exodus International website, and you'll find all kinds of literature and books and articles and conferences and advice, and it's really, really good at my last church. We qualified uh, to be part of the national uh, directory of Exodus International so that if a person was struggling in the gay lifestyle and wanted help, they could be referred to us as a safe place. We would be their community while not compromising God's truth. So Exodus International is a great, great Resource, And then I want to tell you about a third. And this just evolved. Since I started this series, uh, I've been surprised by a few things. But the most surprising is the number of people in our midst who, thank you, have um, been courageous enough and have trusted me enough to tell me 
I have a gay son. I have a gay daughter. I've lived with shame and guilt over it all. I haven't shared it much. I'm afraid of the consequences, but I want you to know about it. And some have emailed and indicated I'd be willing to get help <laughs> and to be part of a group of similarly situated parents or grandparents so that we could put our heads together. We could put our hearts together. We could help each other out. We could pray for our children. We could make suggestions. And so I visited uh, with the director of our counseling department and he visited with some of his staff and good news. Here we go. Please make mental note of this. February 18th. Starting February 18th, it's a Wednesday at 7.15. Every Wednesday, February 18th is the beginning day, 7.15. In the counseling center across the street so you could feel a little more protected and not so out there. You are invited to come. There are no fees. You don't have to sign up. You do not have to be a member of this church. Are you a family member? Do you have someone whom you love involved in the gay lifestyle? Do you have a friend? Do you have a co-worker? Some relative? Would you like to get together and find out? To your amazement, you're not alone. And we have someone who has come forward as a volunteer equipped to facilitate it. So it's all come together just that quickly. In fact, you might have received a flyer as you came in. Did anyone? Oh, good. If you didn't, then help yourself to it on the way out. We decided to distribute it to everyone so you don't have to feel like, oh, if I take it, then they'll know. Could I just tell you something? It takes a whole lot more energy <laughs> to stay in your closet, parent, than to come out of your closet and say, yes, my child is living the gay lifestyle and it grieves me, but I love my child and I'm beseeching Almighty God to deliver my child just as Almighty God has delivered me from my sin. So anyway, February 18th, would you make note of it? Maybe you know someone out there who would benefit from it in the counseling center Wednesday night. So those are just three sources of help, uh, each of which can help us be a little more of a compassionate and loving community to those struggling in the gay lifestyle without compromising one bit of God's truth. Do you know that the Bible teaches against the whole family of sexual sin, including premarital sex and uh, extramarital sex and um, um, same-gender sex and self-gratifying sex and sex with children, and I must tell you, because many of us, perhaps most of us here, have at one time or another made recourse to one or more of those sexual misbehaviors, who here would dare condemn another? You get what I'm saying? Are you so noble? What did you get saved from? How dare any of us condemn another? Condemnation of those struggling to get free is not the attitude of Christ. 
And you can see the attitude of Christ dramatically displayed in an episode many of you recorded in the Bible are familiar with. It's in John chapter 8. Here come the religious leaders. Naturally, it's always religious leaders who lead people from Christ. And so the religious leaders came. You know the story. And they dropped this woman as if she's property, just a lump of baggage in front of him. And they say she's been caught in adultery, and you know the penalty. She has to be killed. She has to be stoned. And they're wondering, what is he going to do? And I'll tell you what he does. Uh, He turns the focus of attention from her to them, and he says in John 8, verse 7, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Don't you see? He's saying, how dare you condemn this lady for anything? Are you sinless? Well, let's find out. Let's find out. The one here who has perfectly obeyed the law of Moses, all of its 613 commandments without exception, you cast the first stone. In other words, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so they realized They're dead. He got them. They were trying to trap him. He trapped them. And so they went out. You know, they kind of did the moonwalk kind of a deal. They went out one by one. And now he's left alone with the woman. And so the Lord Jesus now returns his focus attention on her. And it says in John 8, verses 10 to 11, Woman, the Lord's words, where are they? See, he's alone with her now. Didn't no one condemn you? She said, can you imagine? She picks up her head. She thinks she's about to be murdered and she's looking around and she sees no accusers. Oh my goodness. This must have been quite a marvelous experience. She said, "Uh, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. You mean to tell me there's the capacity to go on in life even after sin? Go from now on, sin no more. He didn't say from now on, choose an alternative lifestyle no more. He didn't water it down. He didn't minimize it. He called her sexual misbehavior, at least that which they accused her of, sin. But he gave her hope. He said it doesn't have to be condemnation. It could be the hope of moving past it. But move past it as a forgiven one who goes forth sinning no more. Folks, this is the attitude of Christ. This must be the attitude of his church. Have you been a recipient of the forgiving grace of God? Then manifest the grace of God to others. It never ceases to amaze me that one is forgiven for no good reason except the love of God and turns out to be an arrogant, obnoxious, judgmental condemner of others. I sort of think those people haven't been fully gospelized. You don't know the good news that in spite of you, God forgave you and adopted you. And that's why you're not a real good emissary of good news. You think you earned his favor. You are a worm. Accept it. Can't judge other worms. Do you know some in churches are so repulsed by gay people, they want no contact with them? Hmm. Interesting. That is not the attitude of Christ. 
Do you know he's willing to touch the so-called untouchables? I'm reminded of another incident in his life in which he did something again contrary to the religious leaders and what they would have done. And it's recorded for us in Mark chapter 1, verse 40. A leper, an untouchable, came to him, beseeching him, falling on his knees before him and saying to him, if you're willing, you can make me clean. The leper was ostracized from society. Uh, The leper was put out of the camp and out of the community. Uh, And this leper, I don't know what it was, summoned up the courage. I think it's the courage of desperation. He needed healing and help and wanted to be part of the community. And somehow, I guess he heard around this Jesus might be the one who accepts him. And so he finds himself to this Jesus and and he falls at his feet and he says to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You know what that means? He knew Jesus could he just didn't know if Jesus would if you are willing you can make me clean and he's waiting for response from him it's as if if I could put words in his mouth which I think were on his heart I think this untouchable was saying Rabbi Jesus what stirs you what motivates you what's on your heart could you possibly have a heart for one such as me. Am I worth anything to you? I want so much to be made whole. I know you could, but I don't know if you would. And Jesus responds, verse 41, and moved with compassion He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. We've just been led into the inner recesses of the heart of the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, and moved with compassion. He stretched out his hand and touched him. The crowd, religious crowd, was moving away from the man. And the Lord Jesus was drawing near. And he touched him. The religious leaders prohibited it, thinking that the defilement of the man could be communicated to somebody else, kind of like by osmosis, you see. But they foolishly misunderstood that the defilement's on the inside. It's not on the outside. You don't get cooties by hanging around with people who are in sin. They don't transfer their sin by osmosis to you. You may succeed in transferring the righteousness of God through the cross of Jesus Christ to them. But how can you do it if you separate from the sinner? We don't want people coming in here who are already fully devoted followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only do we? Don't we want people coming in here so that they could become fully devoted followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? And if we don't extend our hands so as to be willing to touch the untouchable, and of course you realize the untouchables in our society today are no longer lepers, they're homosexuals, they're gay people in the church. 
This is not the way of Christ. He touched them. This is the attitude of the head of the church. This must be the attitude of the church. Don't you realize his tur- his, his touch extended to an untouchable one? Don't you realize it said more than all the books ever written? And don't you know it communicated more than all the sermons ever preached? To touch the untouchable. It's as if the Lord Jesus said, I accept you. You matter to me. I am willing to deliver you from your defilement. Be cleansed. This is the attitude of Christ. This must be the attitude of Christians. Those living in or struggling with the homosexual lifestyle are modern day untouchables, but not to Jesus. And therefore, they must not be untouchable to us. Withdrawal, detachment, ridicule, rejection. These do not reflect the attitude of Christ. He came to be living proof of a holy and loving God. We are his church. Therefore, we too must be living proof of a loving and holy God. This is the attitude of Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And do you realize that the world, (laughs) which God so loved, and to whom he gave his only begotten son, do you realize that world also includes gay people? The attitude of Christ is to save sinners, not to separate from sinners. In a church in which I played a role once, we set up infrastructure to help these otherwise untouchables find community. And I had some people leave the church. I helped them pack. They're in the way of extending the loving, compassionate touch of the Lord Jesus. The attitude of Christ is to save sinners, not to separate from sinners. Um, Would you look around at the doors to this place just for a second? Look at the one that's closest to you. See these doors? Do you realize week after week all manner of sinners enter through those doors? You be some? Yeah. And though God loves each of us who enters through the doors of his church, though he loves each of us the way we are, He loves us too much to leave us the way we are. Mm. He wants us to be looking like him. He wants us to be reflecting him. He wants us to bear and radiate his image. He wants us to be conformed to his holy character. And so he throws open the doors of his church wide. Not to those who have no need for a physician. But for those who are sin sick. 
Yes, sometimes because of their own choices. But he wants them coming through these doors as well so that he could do that which is consistent with who he is. He's a transformer. He's a redeemer. He's a deliverer from bondage. That's the attitude of Christ. It must be our attitude as well. And if we so protect ourselves from the untouchables and so remove ourselves from the real world that all we know are fellow members of the holy huddle, how can we perform the function of being agents of transformation and redemption and deliverance? I'm glad Sunday after Sunday the Lord Jesus lets me walk through those doors just as I am I'm glad he has transformed me from darkness to light in an instant but I'm glad for the process in which I'm being daily transformed from death to death to life to life so that I could look more like my father. I love the way Almighty God says, Father and son, father and daughter. He's the dad no untouchable has ever had. (laughs) How do people get introduced to him unless we're bridges of it? Let me just make you feel bad before we take leave of one another. How many people far apart from Christ do you count as a friend? How many? Maybe that's why nationwide the church is not growing. It's because Christians have so removed themselves from the real world, they only know other Christians. You can only lead someone to the Messiah when you know someone who has to be led to the Messiah. Instead, we argue over music. When there's a world of untouchables living outside the camp. God, forgive us for not being his arm which extends itself as living proof of a holy and loving God to a watching world of untouchables. So we ought to pray that our church gets flooded with people who don't look like us. There's enough of us. Yeah, you look okay, I look okay. Eh, nothing special. We ought to pray that God would let us be a fit receiving ground for the untouchables of society (laughs) so that the demographic of our church reflects what's going on out there. Do you dare do it? then you got to get out of your comfort zone because you don't know when the next untouchable is going to take your seat. (laughs) 
I'll tell you why God doesn't let us forget our sinful past. It's because we would be more arrogant than we're prone to be already. Every uh, day I remember from whence I have been brought. (laughs) The things I did. One time I told you I remember being so drunk I fell to the floor. I vomited and woke up the next morning. I couldn't get up because my face was stuck to the tile floor. So I remember that. I, I, I could smell it. And I say, oh, God, why don't you take that away? And I know why he won't take away the memory, because I'd be more obnoxious than I am already. Is <laughs> to remind me what an untouchable, you, who would touch me in that condition? You know what I mean? Except with maybe rubber gloves. Now, you may not have experienced something like that. I hope you didn't, but uh, you were conceived in sin, too. Uh, you, you committed crimes against the holiness of God in thought, word, and deed. He blew open the doors of his church and heart and arms to you. That's what he wants us to do with others, including those who are struggling with same-gender attraction. May God find us worthy of being a safe place, a safe family where people like that can find hope and healing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we bow before you, marvelously forgiving and merciful God. Wow. How inexpressible is the gift of deliverance wherewith we have been saved. We came empty. We contributed not one bit. It's all of grace. Grace, grace, God's grace. And so we praise you, God of all grace, and we just want to say, please do it again and again and again and again. The gracious work of salvation through us. Let there be no untouchable who can't find community here and who we force to go to less healthy environments. Oh God in heaven, we dare not compromise on your truth and we're not going to. But we just want to put it in a package of compassionate love. And we know, oh God, one of the marks of truth is to tell people the truth. We cannot tell a gay person it's okay. We cannot and we will not. It's apart from your will. That is an act of love. But then we want to tell them part B. But we love you. And God loves you. And he wants to help you break the pattern. And so do we. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for transforming us. Now make us to be transformers of others. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.